We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Time to get to know a little bit more about myself and Sean Siegel. We do these shows from time to time. It is a kind of a bonus Q&A episode. This one being recorded ahead of time. I'm, well, I have been on vacation in Toronto. I am now back, but I'm now probably, as this is released in London. Uh, so there's lots of travel happening at this particular moment in time. So I thought, perfect time to set down and have some more of these. We've got some listener submitted questions. Sean is going to go through some of his kind of best takes in terms of best show best sleeper show by platform there's some of them that i have to hold my hands up the last one of these we did sean we talked about the show recommendations there was one i said i hadn't seen and i felt that i wasn't a fan of you called me out on it after the show when we finished up and since that i've binge watched all six (laughs) seasons of it in pretty record times we'll get into that a little bit later in the show but i always love doing these conversations people reach out sometimes when i ask for the the topics or the questions to put into them and obviously we've done a hicks maybe this is the sixth one or the fifth one so what i've done is as well i'll put it in the show notes there's a directory now up on rotaviz.com where the embedded players can be found to listen in because some of the topics tend to be the same and partly sean for my benefit uh when people say what about this topic and i'm like oh we did that one already and then i have to go and find the link and send the link and share the link uh so this way It'll just be one link moving forward from now on that we'll keep updated. But I'm excited for these. We've uh, on the show we can attempt to stick to you know, just fantasy football, so it's uh, always fun to for the listeners to find out more about us, but also for each other to find out uh, more about us along the way. Yeah, especially with this really cool dynamic where I've gotten to make a great friend from across the pond. I think all the listeners really enjoy learning about the experience there in Ireland. And we have some questions to that effect. Yeah, I'm always a little bit reluctant to do these shows. But Colin, even though I, you know, I've had some reluctance, your shepherding of these episodes has been really effective. And so some of the, the very best feedback that we've gotten and people reaching out in really cool ways. And so again, I just want to thank the Rotoviz community for everything they do for us, all those ratings and reviews, all of the different tournaments, the leagues, the feedback, the questions, all of those are awesome. And then we like to do TV recommendations, book recommendations. 
And we've gotten, I mean, some of the best books that I've read in the last three, four years have come from listeners, have people that I play fantasy leagues with who come out of overtime where we have all these inside jokes with team names that are based on the TV shows. And then there are It's got to other... the stage, Sean, where people who are drafting in our listener leagues are stealing the team names that you want to use. Well, and more power to them. We love to have that element. So, I mean, there's a, a drafter who uses Donnie Lo who loved bowling in our leagues. And every time I see that one come up, oh yeah, I know that draft is going to be an A plus every time team name is perfect. But again, thank you to everybody. We've had people reach out on some of the things we've mentioned, even kind of beyond show related stuff. Really, really cool. But it's not just going to be about us. We're going to give some TV recommendations. If you have TV recommendations, give them to us so that we know what to watch. Colm, to start off here, I think that a lot of listeners know that outside of fantasy, one of the things that I'm involved in is writing, do a lot of reading, do a lot of TV watching. But I think that stories and content and myths that we have about ourselves as individuals, about societies, they really dictate what people believe and how they behave and how we move through this space that we have. And certainly there are so many great things about the internet. I mean, you and I would not be friends. The show would not exist. All those types of things off the internet, but also with social media, you have plenty of things that are negative. We want to also immerse ourselves in positive stories and you get that in fiction, at least in some examples. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of the show. But Colin, the first question that we have here, and I think this is something that is kind of foundational for us and foundational for the listeners. And again, if you have an answer to this question, let us know. Let us know who your favorite player is. But this column was the first one that came in, which is who was your favorite athlete? Who was your favorite player growing up? Which age, which age do you think we go with here? How, how young? First childhood memory? But I think I probably have the same name for both of these but how young are we going i think it's you know 10 through 14 kind of foundational for you okay i mean i watch sports from when i you know could first see the tv and i come in or my parents would come in and i'd be crying and they'd be like what happened and I'd be like, well the team i was rooting for lost <laughs> like you don't know anything about these two teams <laughs> <laughs> you care <laughs> so the competitive element of of wanting one team to win in sports and having it be random as we often have in fantasy football i can start young you should, Sean, have taken the approach that my daughter has taken. She's not really a fan of sports in any way, but if it's on the TV, so let's say Sundays and I'm watching the games, she'll pick, like, if she sees the team celebrating in the end zone, she'll be like, oh, my team scored. And, like, then, you know, if you're watching Red Zone, for example, there's going to be another touchdown in a minute, and she'll be like, oh, my team scored. And then she'll be like, she'll be sitting beside me, and she'll say, ha-ha, your team's losing. <laughs> so... I'm always on the losing team. She's always on the winning team. Doesn't matter what the colors are. Um, she's going to win. She's going to have her fun doing so. So we could do that. But uh, when it comes to sport, obviously um, growing up very young in rural Ireland, the uh, at the age I was, was probably the peak of the Irish soccer team success. So you had uh, the World Cup was in America in 1994. My father went out to that. So it was a big period of like, they had never really qualified for any tournaments really to the European Championships in 1998, but they made it to the World Cup in 1990, the World Cup in 1994. So there was a lot of success. So when I was like, you know, four or five, those guys were like superheroes, I guess, at that particular point in time. There was one player called Packy Bonner. He was from 
this particular part of the country. So he was somebody that at that point I would have idolized. But I think the person who made me become, I guess, you know, a fanatic of sports, which then has led me to like, you know, soccer and then eventually into NFL, would be Thierry Henry. He was a, an Arsenal soccer player, I'm sure. Any of the, the soccer fans in the US would be aware of me. Also finished up his career with the New York Red Bulls at the end of it, but a French football player who, in my opinion, is the greatest player ever to play in the English Premier League. So he is somebody who, just like from seeing him play and took me from like, oh, this is on the TV to like the point I am now, where as much as I've tried over the years, Arsenal have had quite a like up and down and mainly down uh, in terms of success over the last 20 years. But he was at the point where they had the most success kind of in the early 2000s and um, kind of just completely changed the way I look at sport that I now cannot say I don't want to watch an Arsenal game, right? I, I wish sometimes I could say I don't care, but uh, he was the person I think who kind of got me on the sports kind of drug, if you want to call it that, and, and I was hooked after that. And... What was his style of play? What would be the electric. signature, electric would be the would signature be move? Speed. Thierry Henry is an extremely fast player who plays as a striker, but would drop off into kind of midfield and, and pick up the ball. And has he done an ad one time for, I believe it may have been for Ford, the car company, but the saying he used in it was va va voom. And the way he played was va va voom in terms of very uh, skillful but very powerful and i don't really think there's been many players who have mirrored that style which made him so unique you kind of have players who are fast who are smaller or players who are kind of taller who play up at the front all the time he just was a lot rolled into one he also had a number of different iconic moments and now has a statue outside the arsenal stadium with one of his uh one of his key celebrations against a big rival in, in Tottenham. But he, um, like, he, he's somebody who I, I'll look this up when you're telling us your favorite, but I, I would guess at this point he may be like 45 years old or younger. Like, and he was a legend when he was 30 years old. So, again, you see this with sports like Patrick Mahomes is a legend, but he, he's one of those kind of players who, you know, generationally gets thrown around, but he was definitely up there. That's really cool. Who, while I look up what age he is, uh, Sean, what, who, who was your favorite uh, athlete growing up? Well, so I was thinking of this question, or think about the question. Three names kind of popped to mind for me at three, you know, slightly different stages, slightly different sports. And you know, growing up there in suburban Kansas City, everybody has their little backboard up, either separate or you know, or on the garage or out there in the driveway shooting and shooting and shooting and imagining yourself as these great basketball players that obviously you'll never be. But when I was a little guy, the player who captured my imagination was Isaiah Thomas. And that hasn't necessarily aged particularly well, or just the way that he is perceived now is not what it was like when he was, you know, 25, 30 himself. And this nba player whose ability to handle the ball was so unique that he was unguardable by all of the other greatest players and so you can get to the rim with impunity you slice through come up 
from under on the backside and his big playability, his crunch time performances, his ability to go off in the third or fourth quarter of a key playoff game against someone like a Larry Bird or against the Los Angeles Lakers. I mean, you're talking about it, it, it's interesting next. Basically, from the conclusion of the bad boy era, right? I haven't been captured by the NBA in the same way. And part of that, going back to, you know, we referenced on one of the shows recently, the NBA officiating corruption thing and how the Kings, and you think back to another team when I was young that again, captured the imagination and you have the Fab Five and you have Chris Weber and you have Juwan Howard and you're looking at those guys and then they don't quite win. They go to the NBA. Weber is on some of these Kings teams that get ripped by the officials as they're trying to get the Lakers to win more championships to keep these series alive. But, and, you know, it's, it's really cool right now because a Kansas Jayhawk just won back-to-back titles with the Jayhawks and then as a role player, Christian Brown, on the Denver Nuggets, the Denver Nuggets seem really cool. There have been so many things that have happened since that time period. I mean, it was a long time ago now. But when I mean, you think about that era where you have Magic Johnson and the Showtime Lakers, you have Larry Bird and these iconic Celtics teams, and then after them, you have Michael Jordan. And I think that people who really grew up after Michael Jordan still, I just, you can't really have any concept. Just like the, you know, anybody who played before this time period that I'm discussing, I mean, I don't have a concept of, but Michael Jordan compared to these amazing players who have come since, like a, a Kobe Bryant or even a LeBron James, I just, it's not comparable. So you're sandwiched in between those two eras. And for this narrow moment, the bad boys who were under talented but had guys like Joe Dumars and specifically had an Isaiah Thomas, you have this one moment in time. They were the villains. I mean, that part, again, some of the narrative there and maybe how unlikable they were, you know, comes out a little bit more, I think, in retrospect. But you have this underdog story where, I mean, Larry Bird and those guys are, I mean, they're really cool, but they're also had this villain element to them. You've got the Lakers and Magic Johnson and the players that everyone loves. And then afterward, you have Michael Jordan and the players that everyone loves. And then you've got these underdogs that people don't care for and don't want to win and don't want to have them stealing some titles that can go to Bird or Magic or Jordan. They did that there. They fought back during this time period where the NBA games were vicious. And that competitive streak was so interesting. So anyway, those moments still stand out to me from when I was a tiny little dude. And then, you know, you go through that next period with the football. And because of the internet, because of YouTube, because of how huge fantasy football is, people understand that Barry Sanders was something different. But it's the same kind of thing, I think, you know, sort of related to Michael Jordan, where, I mean, was Barry Sanders as good as a Pete Christian McCaffrey? You know, is he, did he create the same type of value as a Ladanian Tomlinson or a Marshall Falk? I mean, those are some different questions, but they're 
is no question in my mind that there'll never be another Barry Sanders. And then if you see Barry Sanders highlights, it doesn't still give you a sense of who he was because when you watch highlights from other players, right? Even if you watch someone like a Jamal Charles, like, okay, well, those are the plays he ran for the long touchdowns. Or you watch Jonathan Taylor and you're like, well, those are the plays he ran for the long touchdowns. The long touchdowns are important, right? It's a big part of their profile and that they can give that to you makes them superstars. Barry Sanders was a highlight every single time he touched the ball. And we don't have that in the NFL now and we haven't for a long time. And it made him just utterly unique. And so as a, a little kid who didn't live in Detroit at that time, but had lived in Detroit for a couple of years, I mean, Barry Sanders was like the greatest thing that had ever happened in sports. And so you have that. And then as someone who got into the tennis and, and had that as at some points in time as their biggest sport, Pete Sampras, I mean, he wasn't healthy and he wasn't because of, some health conditions he had, he wasn't able to do or create the longevity that we have seen from this trio of megastars in Federer and Djokovic and Nadal. You're going to have some folks talking on podcasts 20 years from now as they get a little bit older and as all the 18 to 25-year-olds have come up and are making their way in sports. And you're going to have people reminiscing about the big three and say, I mean, there's never going to be anything like that again. And Pete Sampras was not like those guys. And yet what he did for an entire generation, how he was better than everyone who had come before. I mean, the thing that is so crazy about the big three is that they have completely distanced themselves from Pete Sampras, who in his own time had completely distanced himself from the entire rest of tennis history. And even though the, the game style, an Andre Agassi or a Yevgeny Kafelnikov appeals to me more, and I style my own play after them, and obviously I say style, it's like thousands of levels below. But the beauty of a Pete Sampras in the serve, the elegance of the way that he played, and his performance in the big moments, the big three are better they have been more successful. They have much more complete games. They are nothing compared to Pete Sampras at the big moment. And if you had to take one of them head to head at their very peaks in a fifth set tiebreaker with your life on the line, I mean, you would take Sampras every time. And so those are the three names that jumped out to me as being, I, I guess the, the three impact sports figures of my youth. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I did look up as well, Sean. 45, I was correct. Um, but he has retired, obviously, soccer players retire kind of in the same range, I guess, as, as NFL quarterbacks would. You know, late 30s usually, but yeah legendary player but i think you touched on it there a couple of times it is those moments it's like you you can clearly visualize those things and i think that's what kind of captivates you you know sucks you into their kind of just the the things that they can do that nobody else can do and i think you mentioned it with kind of the bad boys element as well uh terry Henry had a bit of that where if if he wasn't on your team you would not have liked him you know kind of would score a goal and you know not like stand as if like yeah i i did that you know kind of you see that from some like Mahomes at times you know kind of you know say like oh that's what I expect myself to do for example and um, that was something obviously when he's on your team you think this is the the greatest thing that ever happened but Sean moving on to a big topic now as we move forward here is and I'm gonna say, say something here and I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing to admit not a bagel guy not a not a guy looking for for bagels there's lots of other type of things that I like to to have but are you a bagel guy? And if so, what is your favorite bagel? No, I. I mean, I, I like bagels fine. We need to some like bagel enthusiasts to send us some recommendations that we can pass along for folks who. That's a big part. Of like, in a, I know you can have like food as if it's a sandwich and a bagel. You can have it opened as well. Like, what is the and you know from from people you see that eat bagels what is the common way is it like to eat it as two separate pieces with stuff on it is it to eat it as a sandwich no i think you slice them and then you put cream cheese on them yeah i I see my my wife this is how i know i don't like them my wife buys them and she eats one and she says it's really nice and then the other three that come in the packet have to you know four weeks later have to be disposed of the other thing i'm usually amazed with them is like they seem to be a food that if it was um you know if it isn't that for six months, it still seems to not have, you know, gone out of date, which I'm always concerned about with my food. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think that if you got one at a bagel shop, that would not be oh, the yeah, case. Oh, yeah, probably, yeah. But that is an issue. When, when you have baked goods that are good for two months, maybe Something some chemicals in there. in there that are a little troubling. Colin, if you go to a bakery in Ireland... What are we looking at? Like, what are the pastries? What are I mean? Is a bakery something that you're going to run into? And you mentioned growing up in in rural Ireland. Obviously, with the size of the island there, you have a chance to go to some of the different cities as well without uh, you know these massively long drives. When we're talking about the culture there in Ireland. What are we looking at from a pastry perspective? pastry to be honest on like probably onto the last 10 years was would have been very basic um what i would say is like a lot of the things including a lot of the food even worldwide a lot of it has become kind of a, a mix of american british kind of cuisine you know in america you can get your italian food which is probably not as traditional as actual italian food in england you, you know a lot of um the kind of indian curry dishes that are popular worldwide have actually come from the uk rather than india itself obviously they came at a point but then they have been kind of europeanized or globalized i guess we would say at that point when it comes to 
pastries now, Sean, you know, a lot you can get pretty much anything you want in terms of like I, I have noticed that donuts are something that have started to become quite popular in Ireland, which wouldn't have been in the past. But I would say if there was one that I kind of go back to, I, and I guess that this isn't really a healthy thing. I like fresh cream and, you know, different sort of pastries. But the one of preference would be chocolate eclairs with fresh cream. And there was one that I like. And I, I also, one that I really like that we get from time to time is like a, it's like a slice with pastry, cream, then another slice. But I really enjoy when those have like a, a coffee glaze on top of them. That is something that I like as well. But I, I guess what I would say is a lot of the stuff that is available in America, we've probably just picked the nicer bits and we sell them here. <laughs> I, you know, I don't want to offend anyone from England or Ireland, but the perception is that maybe the cuisine there is not at the level of, say, France or Italy. But I think I that's do, true for everywhere in the world. That's a, that's probably a fair point. Probably <laughs> a fair point. I did enjoy when I had the college trip, kind of working through England and Scotland, getting some scones with the frosting from the Marks and Spencer there. I really like scones, but they are dry. You should make them more like donuts, which is what I had a chance to get there in London. Is that the way that they're... What, what I don't you find like with all this stuff with is when you uh, when you get them fresh, all, all this stuff's obviously better. But I do find like if you get really nice scone, the way scones, you said scones, you use the English phrase, we would say scones. But uh, the way that they are nice is when you put like lots of butter on them. Like a minimum requirement is to put a lot of like what we would also call real butter. So like comes in a block. I'm sure people have seen like... Uh, like Kerrygold is a very famous brand here. Um, they come in like blocks of gold wrapping, kind of tinfoil on them. But um, butter, and then like if you're getting really fancy, you would put like cream on them. People in the UK, and we obviously shop sometimes in Northern Ireland, so there'll be some of the UK products you can, we would buy like, it's called clotted cream. So it's even more rich than regular cream. So, you know, like the dream scone is butter, cream, and jam, which is a, uh, Kind of a recipe for an early grave. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking that that might factor into my uh, food plan for later in the day. So you you got me really visualizing now at this point, Colin, with the cream and the jam on the scone. So we're going to go scones one, bagel zero for the show. Let us know what your preferences are crumpets sean have you tried crumpets crumpets are basically pancakes with lots of holes in them they're like basically a uk version of a pancake but they're like i don't know if perforate it's the right word but whatever way they cook they become like more porous so when you like put butter or that in it it like really ingrains itself into the the pores which again not very healthy when you're eating it with that amount of butter (laughs) Well, how do you eat crumpets then? Are they just like are they pancakes? Very small little medallion style pancakes, or are they larger? Yeah, uh, they would just be like, uh, and I, again, I don't know this. Like, you can buy very standard pancakes here in Ireland, which would be like mm, small disc. Uh, let's say I'm going to look here. This is obviously on audio, but uh, something the size of like a tea coaster. Um, that's kind of the size I would say, like a small pancake like that. 
same depth as a pound cake and everything. Well, you've never been to Pancake City in Kirksville, Missouri, then, where the pancakes are going to be about 10 times that size. Colin, we have to move into the show portion of the show. And I'll start this, Sean, because I need to hold my hands up and uh, clear the air here. Sean mentioned on the last one of these Peaky Blinders, and I said, I watched Peaky Blinders, I tried it a few times, couldn't really get into it. I then promised after the show when Sean called me out on it that uh, I would watch it. And then by the time we recorded our next episode, I had finished season two. So what I figured out was I was starting the show with my daughter, who now is five, but, you know, Piggy Blinders has been around a long time, so she was even younger. And then I was, I would say, four to five minutes into this first episode, and I was like, oh, I remember now why I wasn't watching this because there's like a massive bar fight as the show starts off. And I was thinking, maybe that isn't appropriate. Uh, so that was what had stopped me on the previous attempts was like, I can't watch it with her here. So I made an effort, watched the entire thing, watched the six seasons and probably four weeks. <laughs> so uh, really binged it, Sean. And I have to say, uh, you were saying earlier in the show, you know, some of the best stuff you've seen recently has been recommended from the listeners. That show is now you know, right up there in, in the top series that I've ever watched. So that, that has worked uh, for me as well. That's awesome to hear. So as we look at that, pick out Netflix as our first provider, we're going to go best show and sleeper show. Colin is now on board with my best show, which is Peaky Blinders, getting the edge over The Last Kingdom because the last couple of seasons of The Last Kingdom were a slightly weaker. The Last Kingdom movie, while I did watch and enjoy, was not good. <laughs> so, yeah. You got to finish strong, right? Finish strong. How does the balance work, Sean, and watching it and enjoying it and it not being good? Well, it's just not good compared to... In terms of how it's written, how it's direct. You mean like by how it's directed, how it, how it looks presentation-wise? Yeah. So with The Last Kingdom, essentially what you got was something that was like vaguely historical. Obviously, people who are biggest history buffs are going to say that that's not really the case, but vaguely historical. And you get a look that is more real, but you also get scenes that are extraordinary. And so you have these individual interactions where you have the rising action within the scene, but you have the dialogue within the scene. You have the tension between the two or three antagonists there that is so dynamic. And when you have that in something that is either a medieval type of story or a fantasy type of story, it elevates it to the point that you have something similar to what Game of Thrones was before it became just, you know, commercialized movie type things. When you have that, it's almost impossible to have a similar viewing experience just because it's so elevated and different from what we experience in our normal lives. The Last Kingdom, the writing on that show, first three seasons, extraordinary. And you need stories that make sense within the environment. So what happens in a lot of cases when you get into the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh seasons on shows is that you have explored all the ground that you're comfortable with. Maybe you've lost some of your best writers to shows that have uh, offered them more and pulled them away in, in some way, shape, or form, or they just are interested in new challenges for themselves. So maybe the writing group gets a little bit weaker. Maybe you just have already exhausted the stories that you wanted to tell in a way that you could tell in a very rich fashion. The unfortunate thing there is that you start to have a little bit more of that, not exactly jump the shark element, but I mean, that's 
where that comes from, where you have a lack of creativity and instead of having organic stories where a plot carries all the way through and the characters are making decisions that work with who they are and that causes the conflict, you start to have conflicts that are forced in on the show and characters then making decisions that don't fit with who they are. Once you get that, once the plot no longer really makes sense, once the integrity of the character is breached because they're no longer behaving like themselves, then you can have a real collapse of the programming. I wouldn't say that The Last Kingdom fell to quite that extent, but it did get quite a bit weaker where a lot of what happens feels more arbitrary than it feels like it's really the result of these difficult decisions the characters have to make at an earlier point in time. That's that's well summed up. That was one of the things I loved about Piggy Blinders is some of the decisions that uh, Tommy Shelby is making as it goes along. You can really see, you know, how he's struggling with those, and that that is obviously something that leads to the investment, I guess, in those characters and then the enjoyment of the show overall. Sean, your sleeper here is one that I was disappointed when it didn't get picked up for a second season, but I think as a one season watch is I would recommend it to anyone to check it. Yeah, we're going to go with something on the opposite end of the scale from sort of a seriousness perspective, maybe a genre perspective. We're going to go with Teenage Bounty Hunters, which is a hilarious show. There is some teenage bounty hunting, but yeah, you get the you get the romance, you get the coming of age, you get the personal revelations, you get the tongue-in-cheekness I love a lot of these shows that have the dramatic element. They have the comedic element. The show isn't taking itself too seriously. And yet the characters are rich. And again, you have that integrity within the character that when they experience hardships and trauma, even in a comedy, and sometimes especially in a comedy, you have these really moving moments that opposed, as opposed to being overly sentimental, they feel organic to what's happened there. And so Anytime that you can have both a richness of emotion and silliness, fun little plots that, again, are not realistic but aren't consistent, I'm completely 100% in. So we do have Prime, Hulu, Apple Plus, HBO Max, and Showtime, Sean. There's a few of these I'm interested. I'll give some thoughts at the end, but you want to hit these rapid fire? Yeah, well, Prime, we're going to go with the best as being Patriot. We've discussed that on the show before it would fit into my number two ranking of all shows all time the sleeper i kind of hedged a little bit here it went with night sky and out of range two very different shows night sky first 45 minutes of the first episode pretty slow you're gonna lose a lot of viewers there i think that's one of the reasons why it didn't get renewed but after that a lot of interesting things happen outer range is a sci-fi western Anytime you put the two of those together and have Josh Brolin, it's a much swatch. I think people will enjoy that one. Call them Hulu. Hulu is tricky because Hulu is basically an amalgam of a bunch of stuff that the networks are putting over for streaming until or separate from the things that they build up on their own networks as we get more and more of that. And then especially with Hulu, you have all of these FXX shows, which are fantastic. The Americans, Archer, you would put those in that category. They would be top 10 all-time shows. I'm going to exclude them, though, since they're not exactly Hulu originals. And I'm going to actually pick two things that are in the same exact vein. Best is going to be Letterkenny. Sleeper is going to be Shorzy, which is a Letterkenny spinoff. So I'm going to put both of those 
out there for Hulu. Colm, I know that you have watched some Letterkenny, which is, I mean, Letterkenny is sort of a, a word games show where you're going to have to have the subtitles on to understand what these small town Canadian hockey player slash hoodlums are saying. It's not realistic at all, and yet fantastically awesome. It is awesome. The reason we started, me and my wife started watching it was, uh, I think I mentioned this before, I used to live in a town, which is about 40 minutes from here, called Letterkenny. So we were like, what's this show about? We started watching it, but you know, it's, it's a huge amount of fun. They love to fight. They love to, you know, they're drinking a lot. They're having a good time. They're having parties. But some of the scenes, Sean, and I don't know if we can discuss them on the show, but there's uh, some of the funniest TV I've ever seen. But I would highly recommend people check it out. And I hadn't heard of Shorzy, so I'm going to have to add that one onto the list here. Yeah, and if you don't want to work through all of Letterkenny and you don't want to go through the little dip that it took in content sort of in the middle just go for the spinoff there. You don't really need the background. You can just watch <laughs> this, again, hilariously funny short season about small town slash normal-sized Canadian town hockey. Even from the very beginning, the little like hockey show that they're doing. So you've got, you know, like an FX1-ish hockey. You know, the guys are sitting around chatting, discussing Shorzy. And again, the, the verisimilitude there, this combination of what these shows are really like and then the comedic element that pulls in the Shorzy deal, a great mix. I think people will like it. When you're looking at these two shows, these are not episodes that you're going to necessarily want to watch with your kids. Although, Colin, there also is an animated version called little kenny which again <laughs> not necessarily actually for kids well i'll not put that on just just yet uh, but we will try and check those out when when the kids aren't in the room that is always the challenge i'm sure there's a lot of parents out there listening that, that know that feeling sean moving on to apple plus what have you what have you got for us here i don't have i had an apple plus subscription no longer have have it, it hit me with what we should be checking out if we resub well, I'm going to go with Severance, and it does sound like there are some issues in filming season two, so hopefully that comes out at some point. Obviously, the highest profile Apple Plus show is Ted Lasso. First season of that, absolutely extraordinary. The subsequent seasons, still very interesting, but they're kind of a darkness to them that... I mentioned. I did times. mention on a, one of the shows that um, I had been kind of at that point a couple of episodes into season three and was still very much enjoying it. It really did have a dip for me from probably episode three onwards for a little bit. But I have to say there's one episode in particular that they go to Amsterdam during it, which I think may be the best episode of the entire series. Um, there were some really, really good parts to episodes, but didn't have the kind of season one definitely was the, the peak of it some still very good moments but some moments where i was like a bit like you were saying earlier like this did not fit with where the show had gone before and we won't worry too much about whether lasso should be in first place because listeners are aware of that when we want to bring some other shows to you that might be a little bit lower profile column i have severance edging out slow horses which has two episodes up there that one, Gary Oldman in the main role, I think it's his best role ever. He's so perfect for it. I've been trying to read 
the books, not actually the Slow Horses series, but a different series by Mick Heron, who wrote them in very successful. His writing is both extraordinary, and yet these books that I have been reading that are from earlier in his writing career, they need to be edited slightly. They need to be condensed. So we'll see where that goes. But Slow Horses gets nipped, does come in second. I'm going to go with Sleeper Shrinking. This is a show that has a wide variety of characters and interesting cast. It's one that folks might have seen because Harrison Ford is one of the psychologists in it. I wasn't 100% sure what shrinking was going to be like and resisted, sort of put off watching it for a while. It is one of these shows, though, once you get into the first even three or four minutes, you know that the quality level is going to be extremely high. You always have that viewing experience column where every once in a while you can tell almost instantly that this is going to be something different. This is a comedy, and when you get that in a comedy... I mean, again, comedies are so difficult to do. They don't have to necessarily be as crisp and sharp as dramas to be very watchable. And yet even doing something of that level is hard. I would say shrinking is the next level up. Make sure you check that out. HBO Max, Best is Deadwood. That's really an old-time HBO show, not exactly a streaming show, but nothing's going to mess with Deadwood there. And then Column, thought about breaking these out, but since... They're doing it together, and they actually now branded into a new app that is just listed as Max. So we won't split the Max slash Cinemax slash whatever they call that stuff off. We're going to take Station Eleven as the sleeper show on HBO Max. Awesome list, Sean. Hopefully people will tune in and enjoy those shows. There's a couple in there I've added to my list. I've got a few. Sean, I'll, I will admit Patriot has been on my list, and I just haven't got around to it. So have to get that done before the next time we do another one of these q a's that's my next job on the agenda here coming up and uh looking forward to diving into it if anyone has any questions that they would like to hear in some of the future episodes of this or any um questions topics let me know you can send them my way on twitter at overtime ireland or you can send them to rotovizradio at gmail.com my name is colin kelly you can follow me on twitter at overtime ireland my co-host is sean siegel check out sean's work up on rotoviz.com and until we are back have a good one Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz with a discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast.